carefree visitors gazing at the memorial plaques and effigies of the distinguished dead, Westminster Abbey that day was little more than a national museum. But a pale young man from Glasgow called Peter Cameron Scott, weakened from the onslaught of West African parasites, came with awe to this house of God. Still shaky on his legs, he turned into the center aisle. Suddenly his eyes caught the name of fellow Scott, David Livingston. Cut in a slab on the floor. And on it he deciphered the words, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. John 10 verse 16. Oblivious of the crowds, he knelt on the floor and prayed for Africa, wondering again what God might require of him. Later, he said, he seemed to see in his mind's eye a line of mission stations passing from uh, the east coast of Africa and on and on into the wastes of the Sahara Desert. He asked himself, how can this be? Without money, with no guaranteed church backing, with but few and uncertain supporters. And another voice calmed him with the words, if the venture be of God, it will and must prevail. Peter Scott had begun life in 1867, the child of poor parents in Glasgow who tried to teach their children to love God. And when he was seven years old, the whole family moved over to Philadelphia in the US. In 1889, he was commissioned by his church denomination in Philadelphia as a missionary to a town called Banana. Yes, there was and still is a town called Banana at the mouth of West Africa's mighty Congo River. His brother John joined him a few months later, but recurring fever marred the joys of fellowship. Worse was to come, his brother John succumbed to fever and died, leaving Peter to construct a coffin and dig a grave. He felt totally alone. As he bowed his head beside John's grave, he resolved to give himself completely to the task of taking the gospel to Africa's people. He never mastered the language, apparently. He never led a West African to faith in Christ, apparently. And two years after his arrival, he became so ill that he had to be carried to Banana, unconscious, and from there to England. His strength gradually returned while he was in London, and after his visit to the Abbey, he had plenty of time to ponder the vision which he believed God had given him. Physically fit again and strengthened by God's marching orders, he sailed back to Philadelphia to plan the new thrust. His infectious zeal lit up his family and some of his friends who wanted to get involved. And then with a party of six recruits, Scott set out from New York on the 17th of August, 1895. They paused in England long enough to pick up the seventh recruit, and then arrived in Mombasa a few weeks later. As soon as he could, Scott and his party set off inland, making contact with the unreached tribes, fighting off wild animals and tropical diseases, particularly malaria. But on the 3rd of December, 1896, at the age of 29, malaria claimed Scott's life. His last recorded words were, can we whose souls are lighted with wisdom from on high, 
Can we to men benighted the lamp of life deny? Here am I. Use me in life or in death. And so began Africa Inland Mission, Sudan Interior Mission, uh, today's SIM, Sudan United Mission, today's Pioneers, and several other agencies began work in Africa in the latter part of the 19th century with similar levels of sacrifice and suffering. And there has been remarkable progress at great cost. Millions of men and women from hundreds and hundreds of tribes across Africa have been swept into the kingdom. Such has been the success of the mission enterprise that not only in Africa, but in all of what has become known as the global south, or what used to be called the third world, the two-thirds world, um, the gospel has taken root in the lives of millions upon millions of people. And that is cause for great praise and thanksgiving to our God. Mark Knoll, the new sh in his book, The New Shape of World Christianity, wrote already 10 years ago, the Christian church has experienced a larger geographical redistribution in the last 50 years than in any comparable period in history, with the exception of the very earliest years of church history. In 1900, there were an estimated 9 to 10 million Christians in Africa, mainly Catholic and various shades of Protestant. 2018 marked the first year that Africa was found to have more Christians than any other continent of the world. At 631 million, that is 30 million more than the closest contender, South America. That's about 45% of the continent. Of course, that does include every stripe and shade of Christian. But even if you were just to count the evangelical Protestant believers, that number runs to an estimated 160 million people. That is a bountiful harvest. Amen? Praise the Lord. That is a bountiful harvest. To God be the glory. You would be forgiven if you looked at that slide and heard those statistics I've just given you for thinking that the task is accomplished. That missionaries should all come home. Come home, Peter and Katie. Come home, all you others, with AIM and SIM and SUM and all of those great agencies. However, the words of John 10:16 still ring in our ears. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is the great missionary text of the Gospel of John. Just when the Jewish disciples begin to feel like they are really the select heirs of Abraham, Jesus declares in John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold among the Gentiles. And just when the early American Puritans were settling into their chosen status as the new Israel in the New England, John, Jesus said to John Eliot, in effect, I have other sheep that are not of this Puritan fold among the Algonquin Indians. And he went as a missionary to those Indians. And a hundred years later, to David Brainerd, I have other sheep that are not of this congregational church fold among the Susquehanna Indians. And he went to the Susquehanna Indians. Just when the particular Baptists of England were caught up in the unbiblical 
trap of hyper-Calvinism, which says that God will save people in his own time, in his own way, and we don't need to be involved. Jesus spoke to William Carey. And I have other sheep that are not of this English fault in India. Just when the mission agencies and churches were growing content with the coastland successes around the world, Jesus stirred up Hudson Taylor. I have other sheep that are not of this coastal fold in inland China. And to Peter Cameron Scott of AIM and the founders of Sudan Interior Mission and others in inland Africa. And just when all of Western Christendom began to feel content in the 20th century that every country of the world had been penetrated with the gospel, Jesus came to Cameron Townsend, the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators, and said, I have other sheep that are not of this visible worldwide fold among the hidden tribesmen people, thousands and thousands of them, with not even a portion of scripture in their language. Every time we start to get comfortable with just us, this verse is like a thorn in our church chairs. Every time a missions agency like AIM begins to get comfortable, John 10, 16 is a bugle call. I have other sheep in thousands of people yet unreached by the gospel. And this bugle call came to AIM in the 1970s and 1980s as the mission moved into what were new for us, countries where there were unreached peoples. And that move has gathered pace as we have increasingly focused our efforts on partnering with African Christians to reach the remaining unreached in Africa. There are between 900, I think I said this this morning, there are between 900 and 1,000 African people groups still who do not yet have a significant gospel presence among them. More than 700 of those groups are Muslim. What confidence do we have that God will bless our efforts and that of the African church that is rising up to take the gospel across culturally and the other agencies? What, what confidence do we have I believe it comes from this great verse, which reminds us that, first of all, Christ has people besides those who are already converted, other people besides us. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. In the immediate context of John chapter 10, Jesus meant the nations beyond Israel. By implication today, Christ has a people beyond the four walls of this church. They belong to his Father. It gives hope that Christ most certainly has a people among the nations. I have other sheep. It was precisely this truth that encouraged the Apostle Paul when he was downcast in Corinth. The Lord said to him in a vision, Don't be afraid, Paul, but speak and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no man shall attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and you are going to bring them in. And they will, hear, they will hear my voice through yours. It is a promise full of hope for those who dream about going to the least reached places on planet Earth. When we went into both uh, some of our pioneer situations in, in northern Mozambique and then in North Africa, we went with this confidence that God was going to go ahead of us and that there would be people in whose hearts he had already begun to work. And we found that to be the case. Um, Janice had a student by the name of Nancy. Nancy came up to her at the end of one class and said, 
I want to talk to you. Took her aside and said, I just want to let you know, I've left Islam. I've become an atheist. According to um, people in North Africa, um, atheism is leaving Islam. It's not as we understand atheism. Um, so if you've left Islam, you've become an atheist. I I've, I've left Islam, I've become an atheist. Uh, Janice took that as a, um, a hint that uh, perhaps this was an opportunity. So we, we were leading a team at, at the time. This lady, Nancy, I've talked about, was, was a divorcee. And we had a lady on our team who was a divorcee from America. And uh, she, um, we connected them um, for language learning purposes. Uh, and indeed, there was some language learning that went on. But most of the time, our friend was talking to, to Nancy about the deeper issues of life. They would meet regularly once a week, sometimes twice a week, to talk about these things. And within four months, Nancy surrendered her life to Christ. And her mother, who was an old Berber lady, um, really didn't like this and was getting on her case. And so uh, our, our colleague and Nancy prayed together every day for her mother. And one day, her mother comes to her and says, Last night, a man in white appeared to me and spoke my language, the Berber language that I speak, and... He said to listen to you. And then the mother became a Christian. Now in the interim between um, Nancy becoming an, a an atheist and, and be becoming a Christian, she had got onto a Facebook group uh, for um, Moroccan atheists. And uh, uh, she immediately started telling them, I found, I found what we'd be looking for, guys. And uh, she got in touch with me and we, we started a, a Bible study for a group of uh, some of these atheists. And some of them ended up in the local assembly, this local church. And all of them had been prepared by God because they were the other sheep that were not of the sheep pen and he had to bring them in. And we just went out looking for them. Secondly, this verse implies that the other sheep that Christ has are scattered outside the present fold. When, when Caiaphas, the high priest, who, not realizing that his words were prophetic, justified the death of Christ, which he and others were plotting. And he said um, to, the, to the Jewish leaders at the time, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation perish. The Apostle John in uh, chapter 11, verses 51 to 52, explains uh, this as follows. He, he says about Caiaphas, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. World evangelization for the Apostle John is the ingathering of the scattered children of God, those sheep that God has chosen and intends to give to his son. And the point for our encouragement this evening is that they are scattered. They are not all pocketed in one or two places. They are scattered everywhere. The way that the Apostle John puts it in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, you, you the Lamb of God, were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. So we may be sure on the authority of God's word that among all the peoples of the world, we will find those who belong to the Father. This is a great encouragement to get on with the task of frontier missions and to reach all the unreached peoples of the world. Thirdly, this verse reminds us that the Lord has committed himself to bring his lost sheep home. 
He promises to do it. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. He will bring them. This does not mean, as some of the hyper-Calvinists thought in William Carey's day, that Christ will gather in his sheep without sending us out to call them in. In John 17, verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We continue the mission of Christ. So Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 20, My prayer is not for them, referring to his immediate 12 disciples at the time, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, just as Jesus called his sheep with his own lips in Palestine when he was there, his own disciples were calling his sheep with their lips. And those disciples, disciples, right the way down to us, we are calling his sheep to him, and he and they hear his voice through us. So he still calls them today with our lips and with our voices as we faithfully proclaim God's word. And they hear his voice and follow him. He does it, but not without us. This is the wonder of the gospel. When it is preached faithfully in the power of the Spirit, it is not merely the word of man, it is the word of God. In other words, even today, it is just as true as it was in Jesus' day. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. John 10 verse 27. It is Christ who calls in the gospel. Christ gathers. I will build my church, Jesus said. We are only ambassadors speaking in his stead with his authority. That is why Paul said in Romans 15 verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Paul never strayed off message. He proclaimed God's word faithfully. So we can take heart. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Son of God, and he declares, I must bring in my other sheep. He will do it. Which implies the final word of hope from the text. If he brings them, they will come. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. None of Christ's sheep finally reject his word, and none believe without it. What else, can, what, what else can keep you going in a hard and unresponsive place of ministry except the confidence that God reigns and that those whom the Father has chosen will heed the voice of the Son? So, Missionaries from our churches here in the UK shouldn't come home just yet. There is work still to do. In fact, more are needed. I could give you a list, as long as my arm, of, of needs that AIM has in Africa. Sadly, many have embraced the uninformed notion that it is always more efficient and culturally effective to support local churches and ministries and to send our money to those churches and ministries of the global south to do the work of missions for us rather than to pay the tens of thousands of pounds each year that it sometimes costs to send western missionaries. 
I'm not opposed to partnering with indigenous missions of the Global South, AIM and others do it extensively. But it is uninformed to assume that local churches or nearby missionaries can always reach a people better than Western missionaries. It is uninformed, first of all, because in pioneer missionary situations there are often no local churches to do the work, or none that are mature enough, or none that have stepped up to the plate. That's the meaning of an unreached people. Moreover, there is no assurance that a nearby missionary will be necessarily more effective than you or I in learning a new language and crossing the culture and teaching the truth. This is especially true if there are age-old tribal animosities to be overcome locally. So such a strategy may, may work in some instances and other times not. Another ambiguity in the present magnificent expansion of Christianity is that not all forms of the faith are based on what the Apostle Paul calls sound doctrine. Michael Horton in his book Christless Christianity, the Alternative Gospel of the American Church, makes this sobering observation. Celebration of the much-advertised expansion of Christianity in the two-thirds world should at least be tempered by the fact that the prosperity gospel, of course an export of the United States mainly, church in the United States, should at least be tempered by the fact that the prosperity gospel is the most explosive version of this phenomenon. Some have even called the prosperity gospel the most sweeping movement within the continent of Africa. So even if there are churches near unreached people groups, sadly so many of those churches are so consumed by the prosperity gospel that sacrifice and service crossing cultures with the gospel doesn't come into view. So the day of Western missions is not over. Even in Africa, where there has been such amazing progress. So, what role should we play? We've heard of the Joshua Project already today and yesterday. If you look at um, the map of Africa, AIM works exclusively in Africa and among Africans in the diaspora. So AIM in Africa works in much of the red and yellow bits that you can see, the least reached parts of Africa. And to the extent that we still work in the green bits, it is to reach people who have come from the red bits as migrants, refugees, students, people looking for a better life. We work in the green bits alongside the often vibrant African churches to envision, equip, help, send, and often to go with them to take the gospel to the unreached people groups in the red and yellow bits. We do that in partnership with churches, other African agencies also, and with the Africans who are joining our ranks within AIM in increasing numbers. I'm going to close um, this evening with a short two and a half minute video. It's uh, narrated by the um, country leader of our work in Chad. Now, Chad is not a closed country. You can go there as a missionary with a missionary visa sponsored by the church. We work shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with the church there to take the gospel to the more than 70 unreached people groups. Most of those, I think all of those are Muslim groups. Um, and now the, the narrator, his name is Justin. He's a, um, a man with a young family leading um, a couple of dozen AIM missionaries.
uh, and alongside the church, taking the gospel to these unreached groups. And as we, as we watch this, um, just um, take note of some of the needs that you saw during the course of that video. And I might just quiz you at the end. Chad is not an easy place to live. The heat is intense and saps your energy. Speaking French and Arabic every day exhausts your mind. The stronghold of Islam breaks your heart. The country of Chad sits at the intersection of North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, of Arab culture and African culture, of Christianity and Islam, making this a vibrant place full of languages, ideologies, and potential. More than 70 unreached people groups call this country home, many of them living in extremely remote and harsh environments. For nearly 120 years, Africa Inland Mission has dreamed of reaching Chad. It took 80 years to get here and 25 more to build a foundation. In recent years, we've made big strides towards that dream. We now have dozens of missionaries and a track record of success with outreach teams and other ministries. Our infrastructure to support families on the field is growing too with a vibrant school for missionary kids and a retreat center set on the breezy banks of the Shari River. And most exciting of all, the Chadian church has great potential to become the leaders in reaching their unreached neighbors, and we get to help them fulfill that calling. AIM is ready and hopeful for a renewed push into this land. Serving here is so much more than dust, heat, hardship. Serving here is knowing God as your sufficiency. Serving here is knowing the joy of proclaiming Christ in a place where many have never heard. Together, we can learn the language and culture. Together, we can disciple and equip new Chadian pastors and evangelists. Together, with the local church and the Holy Spirit, we can bring Jesus to the far corners of Chad. Quick quiz, how many unreached people groups in Chad? Okay, 70, very good. How long did it take AIM to get to Chad from the time we started? 80 years. Uh, how many languages? What are the main two languages in Chad? French and Arabic. And you have, pretty much have to learn both if you're going to be there any length of time. Um, 